Are you looking for a new job? Are you hiring but struggling to find diverse, talented candidates? Then we have something that can help, our job board. Head on over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to browse listings or to place your own. This week on the job board, Grand Valley State University in Allendale, Michigan is looking for an assistant professor of graphic design and user experience. And Blink UX is looking for a head of research in either San Francisco or San Diego. Companies, stop making excuses on your diversity and inclusion efforts and post your job listings with us. For just $99, your listing will be on our job board for 30 days, and we'll spread the word for you about your job to our diverse audience of listeners. Make sure to head over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs for more info on these positions. Apply today and tell them you heard about the job through Revision Path. Get started with us and expand your job search today. Revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. And before we get into this week's interview, two quick things. One, our sister site, 28 Days of the Web, is back for 2021. Since 2014, we have honored a different black designer or developer for every day in February as a, you know, sort of celebration of Black History Month, of course, but also to extend what we do here on Revision Path to let folks know that black designers, black developers, black digital creatives is not just something that you need to celebrate during February. We're here all year round. But of course, in February, it takes special precedence. So if you want to follow along for this year, just head on over to 28daysoftheweb.com. I'll also put a link to that in the show notes. Next up, Recognize is now accepting essay submissions for Volume 3. This year's theme is Reboot, and the deadline for submissions is May 2nd at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Read over the rules and guidelines, and when you're ready, submit your essay at recognize.design. All right, let's get to the interview. This week, I'm talking with Danny Shaw, a design educator located in New York City. Let's start the show. All right. So tell us who you are and what you do. All right. Thanks for having me. I am Danny Shaw. I'm a design educator most of the time. I'm also a product manager when need to be, a project manager as well. And at the core, at the end of the day, I'm still a designer, multidiscipline designer across across the digital space. Okay. Mm-hmm. How has uh, 2021 been for you so far? Uh, 2021, I mean, what are we, we're 13 days in (laughs) so far, personally, it's been fine, you know, but just looking at the world around me, you would be hard pressed to say that, right? Um, But personally, it's been fine so far. So I'm I'm appreciative and grateful for that. Mm -hmm. How was last year? I know, you know, the pandemic really kind of turned everyone's world upside down in some sort of way. How did you get through the year? Last year was a lot. I I think for a lot of people, it was a lot. Uh, Me personally, from a lot of personal relationships, it greatly impacted things. For instance, my grandparents, who I visit my grandparents all the time, multiple times throughout the year. They live in Atlanta. I have not been able to see them. And that's really been a tough pill to swallow on the personal side and not being able to see other relatives. So that's definitely been hard. But then, which is very roundabout way on the professional side, it's it's been probably one of the most busiest years I've had professionally. A lot of business in the landscape changed so fast and rapidly where the digital acceleration accelerated <laughs> even more than the pace that it was already at, which impacted my inbox and my emails and, and people hit me up for advice and counsel and, and jobs. So it's been a mixed bag. It's definitely been a mixed bag. Let's focus on work for a minute here. Now, you're the director of digital design and strategy for a company called Brandshare. What does Brandshare do? All right. So Brandshare is an e-commerce marketing company. And for a lot of people who may not be familiar with that concept and idea, we work with a lot of CPG brands, consumer packaging goods brands, such as M&Ms, Butterfinger, a lot of the packaging goods that we see on a regular basis as consumers. So we work with these companies in regards to their marketing strategy, introducing them to the market, gaining 
insights and data on these new products that's being introduced to the market. And we partner with them on their strategy and execution and how to scale their offering to their audience at large in a nutshell. It comes across multiple channels, digital, in-person, shipping. We do a lot of experiential things as well. So it, it kind of, we touch on a lot of different areas with these brands and trying to get as far as being the partner between the brands and these new products that's trying to be introduced to the market and services and reaching that specific audience that they're trying to target and reach for their respective products. How did you first get started there? At the time, I was transitioning from a position that I was working at in North Carolina as a product manager. And at the time, there was some organizational changes and I was living in North Carolina and, and doing that and just going back and forth between uh, New York and North Carolina trying to get my affairs in order. And I ran into the person who became my manager at Brand Share, Cara. So uh, we just ran into each other. We used to work in the past at Time Inc. Uh, at Essence. Uh, she just told me she was working there. She was, you know, she had just started. She was trying to build a team. She was looking for some freelance designers and asked me if I would be uh, open to discussing. And I said, sure, I'm, I'm open to discuss. And I was just transitioning from the last role and said, hey, you know, this might be something of interest for me while I'm transitioning, trying to figure out the next moves. And then it just happened to work out well. We, we worked well together. I've worked well with the rest of the team and, and working on the designs and for the digital initiatives. And then it just kind of kept going from there into a full time role and then me staying with the company and, and so forth. What does the team makeup look like? I would imagine you've got designers because you mentioned design, but mm-hmm. who all do you work with? Uh, so I work with everybody. <laughs> we work with everybody. So I have um, work outside of me. It's two other designers on my team. Uh, I work with the VP of marketing. I work with the VP of digital. I work. We're not. A, we're we're about fifty. Our, our company's not that big, so we're about fifty person staff based in New York and in uh, Pennsylvania. So I, I pretty much work with everybody, the chairman of the company as well, uh, the president. It really depends on the project and what's what needs to be done. You get to it's a real intimate uh, environment. So I kind of get to work with everybody, account managers and so forth as well. Now, given that the company size is is so small, like what's a typical day like now? Because I would imagine you all are not able to get together in an, in an office, are you? Yeah, no, no. Well, the Pennsylvania office is. So there are... Oh, okay. The, the, the way the, the office is set up, a lot of the majority... New York office, we are. We're all remote, right? Um, to be clear. And we, we are based in Midtown Manhattan. The office is in Midtown Manhattan. But um, the PA office... Depending on the circumstances and what might be needed, maybe like a photo shoot or something like that. Some members still go into the office, but for the most part, it's still pretty much remote as well. So, uh, yeah, but a typical day nowadays is really just, uh, you know, looking at uh, obviously our calendar. We have a lot of meetings, more Zoom meetings than before, just trying to coordinate on the various projects and initiatives, looking at our tickets, you know, got to look at these tickets to see what's due, what's the status. A lot of status meetings just to kind of make sure that we're on track with a lot of things, calls with our vendors, looking at our roadmap. There's a lot of, I would say, a lot of time put towards prepping and planning a lot of more so than in the past, <laughs> so so to speak. It really varies. I really wouldn't even know what to say, what a typical day look like. But if my general day is once I log in, I'm pretty much aware of what my day is already going to look like just because I, I leave when I log out. I just see what I have lined up for the next day. So usually it's a mix between meetings, some design work, collaborating with the design team on what's, what's needed, as well as the account managers for any new requests, checking in on the status of ongoing projects as well, touching base with the VP of digital for any other items that might be coming down the line. Sometimes I am checking in with uh, some of our dev and engineers team on the status of, of things as I'm managing a few of our digital initiatives and uh, e-commerce sites. Yeah, it, it really ranges. I'm, sometimes I'm looking at analytics and numbers and metrics just to kind of see if, you know, some insights in, in regards to the strategy and make sure we're, we're on pace and we're doing the right thing or if there's room for improvements, you know, always looking for some rooms for improvements as well. So it, it really varies throughout the day. Monday to Tuesday could be two completely different days. Oh, that does sound like a lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's cool, though. It's cool. But yeah, it can vary a lot. Have you had to adopt any sort of new, like, strategies or workflows over the past year? Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, they tend to crack jokes on me because I am like the, or I try to be like this, the organized one and, you know, being a project manager and 
in the past and having project management roles, I really try to align and keep things as organized as feasibly possible. So I think I've definitely have been a louder and stronger advocate for that, not just for myself, but across the team, especially during COVID, right? So that's one thing that we really just had to uh, really make adjustments for. And I also think the communication, I'm big on communication. I think a lot of, not just design problems, I think a lot of problems in general could be resolved if we communicate a little bit uh, better, if possible. So I really had to be strategic in how we communicate and open up the line of communications to help foster solutions, especially now that we're not all in the office together and, you know, we can't just walk over to someone and so forth. So the communication was definitely going to be key from there. And also, to be quite honest, when everything first hit and and, um, and the world changed right before our eyes, I do think a lot of people, we just didn't kind of know what to do, right? So we worked. And that meant working past our normal times and and things like that. And I think for me, it was at a place where I had to be diligent about, okay, shut off. There's only so much you can do. And I think not just for me, a lot of people had to make that adjustment as well with the state of the world. Yeah, I know a lot of people. I think it was last year, right around the time that the uh, that the pandemic happened and sort of the the lockdown started to happen. I was Mm -hmm. talking with a lot of people for the show who they had either just started a new job and like mm-hmm. now it's day four and they're meant to work from home continually mm-hmm. or they're having, you know, kind of a tough time trying to transition from being in the office to now having to sort of work in this asynchronous mm-hmm. sort of fashion. Right. Yeah. I would say for me, just because I've had roles in the past where I've worked remote, my role in North Carolina, it was a big remote work environment culture prior. I would go into the office, but it was nothing to see a member who was working remote that day for various reasons. It was very flexible. People had kids. uh, People had health issues. We worked with teams across the country, (laughs) remote teams across the country and engineers. So it was never it never felt like everybody had to be in an office. So for me, I was comfortable already transitioning to a more work remote environment. But this has been the most I don't know if this is the most remote. (laughs) Yeah. Adjust to. For sure. Has there been like one thing that you've gotten that's really helped you make that adjustment pretty well? I've meditated. (laughs) Just to be honest, like I really got into uh, meditation a bit more, just reading different philosophies, at least for me, just trying to make sense of everything that was going on. You know, I I, I don't have the headspace is the Headspace app is very is very helpful. You know, it's helped me uh, sleep more consistently and, and things like that. We're all just trying to figure out just what works for us, right? I didn't feel I needed, I wasn't really looking for anything that was going to make me a better employee, (laughs) to be quite honest. I I think I was more concerned with what's going to help me maintain some mental health during all this time. Yeah. So, like, when it comes to working on a new project or, you know, with a new client, what does that creative process look like with you being the director of strategy? I know you've got the team under you. What does that that sort of process look like from start to finish? Well, it really varies because the relationship that we have with the clients, it changes. In some cases, we are more or less the facilitators and, you know, creative may already come and we're just working on the strategy on how to execute it for them and, and what are the proper marketing and, and digital and media channels, so to speak. And then other times we are developing and designing an in-house. And when that happens, of course, that's when we are the standard procedures, right? What's the, what's the goals? What's the objectives? What are we trying to achieve? What's the demographics? What's that research behind it first before we start opening the programs, right? <laughs> trying to get an understanding of what are the client needs? What are their goals? What's the KPIs? What's the measurement of success prior to all of that? And then basically looking at our offerings and our tools and our resources to see how we can best execute it across the board. It may not always be a digital execution. It might be an experiential execution. It might be uh, just some inserts and getting them to scan QR codes and taking them to, you know, microsites and things like that. Or it might be uh, newsletter campaigns and stuff like that. So it does vary. But I think we start each project just trying to, one, just get an understanding of what are the key goals and objectives and how do we facilitate that? and making sure that we have the right information to go about and executing it properly across creative, across strategy, and across execution as well. And so that is kind of the same matter what type of client it is, I would imagine. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, well, we see it happen a lot, but you can't just come to the table with a solution without really knowing what the problem is, right? (laughs) And uh, you may have similar clients and similar problems, but no two are the exact same. So it's always a good 
to start from that place of just trying to get understanding first. So I'm picking up this New York accent real <laughs> strong. I'm going to guess that's where you grew up, right? Yes, New York, born and raised, New York, <laughs> born and raised. It's funny you say that because that, that, oh my God, that happens so many times when I was in North Carolina. You know, you don't realize it. You don't even, I guess I, I don't realize it. It's just how I talk, right? <laughs> were you exposed a lot to kind of design and everything growing up in New York? I would imagine, oh. you know, it's such a cultural city. Yeah, yeah. New, growing up in New York, I was exposed very early on to not just design, like art and design as well. So for me, I was a kid drawing comic books. Marvel comic books was my go-to. I just loved the way they drew their superheroes, the anatomy, all of that type of stuff. Uh, the cartoons, Dragon Ball Z, all of those type of stuff. So, And then you have the museums, right? In New York, you have all the art museums as well that I used to get taken to on, on school trips <laughs> you know, and so forth. So I was just exposed to art and design very, very early on. I was also fortunate my junior high school had an art program in junior high school, which in hindsight, it was, it was quite a blessing in New York City, right? We had a great art teacher, Ms. Curran, who just helped nurture that art, that my interest in art and so forth, whether it was illustration, painting, crafts, whatever. So before I even knew what design was or, or art as a whole, she was already helping me, you know, just nurture that interest that I initially had, which led to where I'm at today. So when did you kind of first get that that spark? I mean, was it then in that junior high program? I think, yeah. I mean, prior to that, I was always just doodling. I was always doodling. That was just it. And then upon junior high school and getting into that art program, I remember when you had independent studies. You had independent study classes that you can take uh, while you were in junior high school. And I want, the first time I took music, and it was I only took music because... That was all that was available. I had an interest in music, but I really had an interest in, in art. Right. And I, I had to. she she didn't have any more space. And I had to, like, do a whole test and hopefully get in for the second half of the year, which I did. And from there, just kind of move, kind of hit the ground running. I was living in Far Rockaway at the time with my mother. And there's a artist group out there called the Rockaway Artist Alliance. So they also had a weekend painting classes as well. Uh, that was taught by Mr. McKay. Uh, he was so he was. I had Miss Curran, who was my junior high school art teacher during the day, and then on the weekend, Mr. McKay, who was giving me me and my brothers painting lessons on the weekend. I was painting in oil and uh, acrylic and so forth. So that right there just facilitated in everything from there. My aunt, she brought me paint sets from Pearl Paint, which isn't around anymore. But anybody in New York back in the day knows what Pearl Paint is. They just was the store for all the art supplies, and yeah, took it from there. From junior high school, for people that may not be familiar with the New York school systems, you know, you go to high school, they have these specialized art programs and specialized high schools in general. So I applied to a few of them. I applied to art and design. I applied to LaGuardia. I forget the other one. But, uh, you know, I applied to all those top schools uh, with my portfolio and I didn't get into any of them. <laughs> I didn't get into any of them at the time, which is fine, you know, but luckily the high school that I did go to in Far Rockaway is on Beast Channel. They actually had a very good art program. Uh, it's, it was like a hidden gem. So definitely was fortunate for that. And then from there, the art program at that high school really just kind of set us, me and a, a group of my friends on our way into a design career. So uh, shout out to Mr. Phillip, Mr. Sullivan, <laughs> Ms. Uh, Baruch. They was the high school art teachers. And they were very focused on just helping us get our portfolio together, you know, just get your portfolio for these design colleges, get the portfolio. Like I think from my first <laughs> art class in 10th grade until I graduated, that was all they kind of just instilled in us. So that by the time we transitioned from high school to college, it was, you know, the journey wasn't as hard as it could have been. It wasn't easy, but it wasn't as hard as it could have been. And now this is something that's part of just like the regular New York City school system, or was this like one of the special schools that you mentioned? Well, see, so that's so interesting because if I'm recalling correctly, I don't recall my high school being identified as one of those specialized art high schools. I don't, but they had specialized programs. They was by the beach, so they had a marine biology program. They even had a business program, and they had an art program. And I was like, well, why isn't this being, you know, uh, promoted as much? Granted, it wasn't the best school in New York. It had its issues, you know, fights, gang violence, the, the stuff that you usually, I guess, would attribute to New York type high schools. But the programs was very 
good and comprehensive and, and the faculty was amazing in my opinion. So yeah. I remember the, I think it was the last time I visited New York. Mm-hmm. Was it the last time? Yeah, it was prior to all this pandemic stuff. The company I was working for, they're headquartered in New York, and we had mm-hmm. our annual on-site. And part of that was going to Governor's Island. Mm-hmm. And apparently there's like a, because you mentioned marine biology, and that's what made me think of this. There's mm-hmm. like a school on the island where oh. the kids can study like marine biology and stuff. I was okay. like, we never, well, I grew up in the country, so I was like, we didn't have that anyway, but <laughs> I'm like, that is, that's amazing that you have that in high school, and that's like an option that you can sort of focus on in that way. Yeah, I will say in hindsight, I was very fortunate that it was literally in my backyard, and I was, initially, I was mad, like, I'm trying to go to this high school, and some of my friends did get into those other specialized high schools as well, and it was good. It was just good, a good experience just to even go through that process and go and try to take those tests. And, you know, it's very vigorous. It's very, they're, they're, it's very <laughs> rigorous for sure. But yeah, it was a good experience. Good experience. Now, after high school, you went to one of the CUNY schools, New York City College of Technology, which I believe, I'm only going right off my memory because I don't have this written down mm-hmm. anywhere, but I believe someone else whom we've interviewed for the show teaches there now, Douglas Davis. Oh yes, Douglas Davis is the homie. He's oh, the homie, you, the oh, nice. If you if yeah, you get yeah. a chance to speak to Doug, tell him I said what's up. Oh, for sure, he is the biggest of big homies. We, we talk <laughs> a lot. He's he's very influential. He's played a big role in my career. But just to make a quick note, actually, after high school, I didn't go to City Tech first. I actually went to FIT. Oh, okay. Um, Fashion Institute of Technology, which is you know a pretty popular, well known design school in New York. So initially, going in line with that about the portfolios from high school in New York. Um, actually, I think it's National National Portfolio Day, right? My high school teachers got all of us students. It was a group of us. We all went to National Portfolio Day with our portfolios, and I got accepted into FIT that day and started there as a in their general illustration and fashion illustration department. So went there and got my degree there. But the industry was changing at the time. The industry was changing. I went for illustration and I definitely, I still illustrate and draw to this day, but I don't know. It was something inside of me that said, mm, just looking at the industry, I don't really see it for a pure illustrator. It was right around the time when everything was going super, super digital. And what is good about FIT, the way they're structured, you can't just go into their four-year program. You have to go into their two-year program graduate and then reapply to get the last two years, right? So uh, to get the bachelor's. So uh, once I got the associates, I was like, I don't think I'm going to finish it for illustration. I just didn't really see it. And I was already doing more graphic design stuff before, without really realizing it. Because one of my best friends from high school and junior high school, we went through the whole journey together. We went to junior high school, high school and college together. He was already in the graphic design department. We was already doing a lot of stuff outside of that, just talking and, and being, doing stuff around graphic design. I said, I think I'm going to transition into this instead of just doing pure illustration. That's what led me to CUNY uh, at City Tech, where Davis is at. I went there because FIT is a great school. But they were very, very strict in the scheduling structure at the time, right? Like there was not a lot of flexibility in how you arranged your classes, especially your core classes for the design department. And for someone like me, I was, you know, on my own. I was working. I was really, you know, fending for myself. And I needed a little bit more flexibility with work because I was working and with my classes. So I was like, I just have to go to a place that may be a more uh, understanding of my, my life circumstances at the time. And that's what led me to City Tech. Yeah. Meeting Davis and so forth. Yeah. Okay. What was it like yeah. there at City Tech? City Tech is, is a very good school and a good program, right? I, I feel like you're like gingerly trying to like talk well about it. No, 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 I'm not. I'm, 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 I'm trying to remember. I'm talking well about it, one, because I teach there now. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. But not just because of that. I'm thinking about my memories when I even transitioned, right? When you're in New York and you're talking about design schools, you have the SVAs, the Parsons, the Pratts, the Cooper Unions, the FIT, probably missing another one, right? So those are like the, the design schools, right? Everybody knows that, that those, those are the design schools. And what doesn't really come into conversation is City Tech. So I know when I was transitioning from FIT to City Tech, I'll tell you right now, the advisor at City Tech looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> I was transferring from FIT to City Tech. She looked at me like I was crazy. Like, like you're coming here. And she works there. She works there. And 
I knew why I needed to change. I needed to change because I just had other things going on in my life where I still wanted to pursue this career, but FIT was not working for me. And so when I got to City Tech, I think one of the biggest things that really was different was that I would say more so because the reputation wasn't there, I think a lot of students didn't feel confident about being there in the design school, right? They, it was a, maybe an inferiority complex where it's like, well, we're at City Tech, we're not at uh, FIT, we're not at SVA and, and things like that. So that's what I, that was my early initial thinking. Going into classes, I knew what I was there for. I came to get busy. I wasn't really waiting, um, I wasn't really waiting on classes to tell me that I can do something. For me, going here was really just to go to finish the process and get the degree. Like I was already learning on my own. That's just how I do personally. Like I like to read and take my own classes. But there was broken up into a few divisions, students that wasn't waiting and just doing it. And other students that was like, I don't even know if this is really right for me because of the school and the reputation to all the other design schools in New York. And some that were like middle of the road. But the faculty and the staff for me, it was great, especially in comparison to the faculty and staff that I interacted with at FIT, you know, I would be, I would even say, you know, they cared more to an extent. They wasn't really as much on their, I guess, high horse as opposed to FIT because of the physique. They really was trying to get students to be successful because they knew what was going on in the industry and, and how you might be at a disadvantage because of the name early on, which was always interesting because professors who taught at City Tech also teach at FIT. They also teach at Pratt. So you're getting the same education. You're getting the same quality of professors. It was really just a matter of location and perception, in my opinion. So, yeah. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. So, I didn't yeah. even think about that in terms of, like, I guess the hierarchy of schools, of, of like, art schools in New York in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It, it's really uh, – I've taken – I've been in programs, you know, do, during, during my high school career. I was taking – I was in programs at Cooper Union and at Pratt before I got into college. And, and I just could see how that energy was. And then getting into FIT, it's a big difference when you're at tech. But I think there's a lot of factors that was going on for that. So, yeah. Do you feel when you when you think back at that time and look at where you're at now, like, was that an inspiration for you to teach? No, I've always wanted to teach. I always wanted to teach before I even went to college. I, I knew in some way, shape or form or capacity, I would just give back and teach in some way, whether I didn't know what I would be teaching. But uh, just growing up, I just had a high respect and regard for educators. Um, I liked school. I was I was good in school. I graduated high, I graduated high school early, you know, uh, and I think a lot of that was because of the teachers that helped me along the way, supported me. So I was I graduated at 16 and but I oh, and, wow. and I remember each and every one to this day I'm friends and and keep in touch with a lot of those same uh educators who had such a profound impact on my life. So yeah, I just knew I was like I'm going to get back and I would like to mentor and I would like to teach in some capacity, maybe not to the extent that you know these teachers are and so forth, but I just knew that was something I wanted to do prior. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And I, I see that after that, uh, you spent some time at NYU, mm-hmm. you spent some time at CUNY School of Professional Studies to get your master's right. degree. Mm-hmm. Was continuing your education, I guess, just sort of part of this continued sort of zest for learning? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, I'm, I'm a lifelong learner. I'm, I, I just am. I'm going to always keep learning. For me, the degrees is and accolades or educational certificates is, is fine, but I'm just going to keep learning uh, on my own and, and just in general. Like the minute I just think there's not enough, <laughs> can never know too much. But it was also strategic as well. It wasn't just I just want to learn it. So after getting my communication design degree and working in the industry, you know, I was fortunate to um, get in, get a full time job or, uh, while I was still in college as a web designer at Time Inc. Work for Essence. And then while I was there, I just got exposed to so much so fast. <laughs> so it was like, like, you know, anybody who has worked at Essence magazine in the past, they'll tell you Essence is like the training ground for if you can survive essence, you can survive anyway, because you work on so much, right? You you really work on so much. So I was the designer, but I was also getting exposed to a lot of the marketing and business side of things, the strategy, and just all of that type of stuff. Analytics, it was everything. You really had your hand in everything. There wasn't nothing that you could not learn and figure out. Uh, and I had a great team that 
that helped teach me along the way. So then for me, it was like, all right, I want to start getting into more of the other elements that's related to web design. And that led me to NYU. They had a um, digital media uh, program, certificate program. So I just took those classes and it was really about uh, the other things that's related to web and the web space and environment outside of design, such as media, buying and analysis, digital strategy, analytics, all those other items. And that was great. And then continuing continuing along the path, I realized that as a designer, I started getting frustrated a lot on having these design projects and just feeling frustrated like it wasn't organized or there wasn't enough clarity on the ask and what was going on. So that just let me down the role of, of project managing. I was like, I think I can organize this a little better. I think I can I think I can help out on this side so that by the time it comes to me and my team, and at the time I was managing a, a design team, I said, by the time it comes to me and my team, maybe I can help. It was self-serving. It was self-serving for me and my, my team so that we wouldn't be frustrated as much. And how can I kind of protect them from, you know how it is, right? <laughs> protect them from the last minute requests and so forth. So I was like, maybe if I, can, if I can learn more about this and what it's about. I see it a lot. I see the job posts a lot. There's some things that I, it seems like I know, but I don't know. So that led me to going and, and getting licensed, getting a license in project management and just add it more to the skill set. And it really did help me manage the design projects and, and just deal with a lot of different personalities. And then from there, after a while, I have a, as much as if I have an interest in design, I have an interest in business. I'm, I have a strong interest in business, but I just always felt like most people don't think about creatives as business people. And most people don't think of business people as being creative. So I knew enough. I took enough classes on my own, and I felt like maybe I should just get this master's to kind of fill in uh, any blind spots or areas of, of knowledge and, and business that I'm not aware of and try to figure out how to merge my creative side with the business side and marketing side and, and would make me ultimately a stronger designer and strategist as a whole. I want to get more into that that sort of intersection between business and design, but I want to go back to essence. And yeah. the reason I want to go back there is because a couple of months ago, we had someone on the show, Brandy Davis, who was a web producer at Ebony Magazine. She was there okay. for most of the sort of early 2000s. And so I'm curious, what was it like working at Essence? Like, I'm just thinking of the general overall experience, because I mean, there's not a lot of black magazines out there, mm -hmm. at least not right now in 2021. But certainly, you know, I would imagine back then still not a lot of black magazines. What was it like working at a publication like that in, in the design capacity? Oh, man, listen, it was great. It was it was it, it, it's an experience that I just have not been able to match in the rest of my career. And it's I probably won't ever be able to, to be quite honest, not just the work that we were doing, but also the relationships and the connections. It was a family feel, to be quite honest, to to every to how we worked on things. And just to be clear, it wasn't just me design. I mean, yes, I was designing, but I got to design for so much. It wasn't just web stuff. I worked on the Essence Music Festival, going to New Orleans, designing these displays and, and posters and working with the print side on the packaging and the magazines and, and, and the merchandise. Uh, we just designed so much and worked on a lot of videos, uh, series, marketing campaigns. It was great. But there was also that cultural connection as well. I'm not a black woman, but, you know, there was definitely a cultural connection to working in that environment. And yeah, just learning at, at the same time, you know, every job has its headaches. So definitely not going to say and act like it was all rosy <laughs> and whatnot. To this day, I have uh, made connections with people who are lifelong friends and associates to this day. And up until recently, they would still hit me up every now and then for some freelance projects and consultation as well. Mentors across the space, you know, people who are still reach out to me and reach out just catching up. So that experience at the time was is not really much of a better first job you can have from in my opinion fresh out of college or in college right I and mean, we were also at the time still under time inc so it wasn't just essence we, you know i worked on S at, at essence but also had access and was working with designers and developers at other magazines under time inc such as entertainment weekly i got to work on people in espanol a few times as well for their festival you know i started becoming the the festival guy since i worked on all the digital designs and production for essence music festival while i was there so yeah it was a great experience in hindsight yeah 
Let's go back to, well, I guess we're skipping forward now, but talking mm-hmm. about kind of this intersection between business and design. I'm gathering that since, you know, you said you're someone that really likes to learn as a continual learner, this was almost a natural evolution for you to go from design to strategy. Cause like strategy yeah. is all about being able to like sort through the clutter mm-hmm. and like quickly come to a decision or like find the best path Mm -hmm. forward in some sort of way do you feel that this would have been something that you would have still went into even if you didn't get like this additional education with like the pmp licensing and everything i'm sorry do i feel like i would i'm sorry can you like do you feel like you would have still went this this path into strategy i think so because i just got a little distracted one thing i just want to (laughs) add on to the essence thing right oh no Um, go ahead to this day, you know, my mom, my grandmother, my aunts, when I was at Essence, they knew I worked at Essence. They tell everybody I worked at Essence. He works at Essence. <laughs> Nowadays, once I left Essence, they don't know what they don't know what I do. What was Danny doing? I don't know. He does, I think he teaches. I think he does, I don't know. But when I was at Essence, they knew that. Like that was that. Facts about strategy, I just think so. Because for me, I think going into strategy and just doing a bit more doing things that really has a little bit more uh, reason and information behind it was just going to be my natural progression because I like to know the why. I just like to know the why. And uh, I think you can understand, like, in a lot of cases and a lot of organizations, a lot of people that deal with designers, a lot of times we are viewed as just, you know, pixel pushers. Just do this, just do that. And we're not really looked upon as someone who may be able to offer some uh, insight and strategy and say, hey, I think you might be doing this wrong or I think you might want to consider this. For the most part, it is do this, make this look pretty and call it a day. That really wasn't going to work for me for too long. <laughs> it just was not going to, no matter how well you may think you're getting compensated, I just know for me that wasn't going to work for too long. So I knew I needed to get to the other side of that e- equation. Now we are in a space where I think a lot of designers, you kind of have to be more strategic and it's being welcome to think that way. And, and, you know, especially in UX, UI type work, product design in that sense. So it is welcoming and it's expected a bit more so than in the past. But during my time when I was deep in the trenches like that, it really was. And it was, can you make it pretty and so forth. So, yeah. What do you think has attributed to that shift? I just think the world is changing. <laughs> and you can't like the world has changed so much around us. And then what started happening, at least from my perspective, what started happening was I will also say just to hold not just people's perspective of designers. I will also say a lot of designers aren't really the best at communicating as well. A lot of times designers, or at least from my experience, would like they just want to sit, plug in and do their work and leave me and call it a day. In a lot of cases, you know, you don't really come across a, a big group of designers that want to tell people no, this is wrong. That's what, you know, they'll sit and that's fine. That's totally fine. So I guess we're both guilty. Designers are guilty in some regards. And then so are the business and marketing people in some regards on their perspective of designers. But what has changed over the years, the industry has changed overall. The expectations have changed overall. The technology has changed overall. And then you have people who really just could not understand it and needed these designers to translate it to them, right? You have executives. I know I've been in meetings where high-ranking executives would call me into their office literally 30 minutes before a meeting, and I'm trying to help them pull Omniture reports because they don't know how, or they're trying to get a quick mock-up because they don't really, and, and talking with me through it because they are not really, they don't have the, the vocabulary or understanding of what they've been speaking to. And it has happened relatively fast. The shift has changed. And then it just created all these opportunities for designers to be more vocal and speak to what they know and also allow people who don't know what they don't know to be more accepting and open to hearing what these designers and tech people may have to say, because ultimately it's going to impact that bottom line. And I think also, you know, when you mentioned how the the market is changing, it's also changing, I think, even on the like like the freelance and entrepreneur level. Like I, I had mm-hmm. my own studio from 2009 mm-hmm. to 2017. Mm-hmm. And like in those early 2010s, like 
I mean, I was making money hand over fist doing custom mm-hmm. web work. Like it was nothing. Mm-hmm. And then I, I don't know. I think it might have been somewhere around like 2016, 2015 or something like that. There's the rise of these sort of like site builders and mm-hmm. low code slash no code experiences like Webflow right. or, or right. Wix or Squarespace or something like that, where mm-hmm. it's less about what you can do as a web designer and more about it's it's sort of almost relegated in a way, the web designer back to being that, that set of hands, like you're, you're, you're just doing the tasks. And so being able to level up with knowing strategy and knowing business is almost needed because the market has sort of outpaced what you were able to do before. It has, but I also, it has, it totally has, but here's, here's, here's my retort, I guess, so to speak. Those sites, those platforms like the Squarespace and, and the Wix, like I use Squarespace and I've used these other platforms and CMS, totally fine. What I've noticed is that people, you know, may feel like they can dismiss the designer and say, oh, well, I can do this on my own in Squarespace. In those cases, I usually say, by all means, best of luck. And if they can do it, fine. But there's still a technical or design barrier as well, right? Like you can kind of tell when somebody designed it on their own in Squarespace. (laughs) No, that's true. That's true. Yeah. So I do, I do agree with you though, because I became, I didn't even know I had my own business. I thought I was a designer. And the next thing I know, like literally six, eight months into my design career, I started getting all these freelance jobs and I was like, well, I think I need to create an LLC now. (laughs) <laughs> right, like, so I, think I, need to, I think I'm in business. I think I'm an entrepreneur as well now. But I do agree with you. The Wix and the Squarespace has given rise to a lot of people doing things on their own. But you know what has happened is that it's created additional opportunities now for that designer, like you said, from a strategy perspective. But then also now it's not just about the design, it's the maintenance, Who's maintaining this? Who's configuring these plugins? Who's managing that data? Who's autom- How are you setting up that automation flow and that UI UX experience, right? So it may not be in the sense of pure visual design, but there's still a lot of opportunity for design to be incorporated and for designers to make to show value for themselves, even in this new day and age of web design platforms. Yeah. And I mean, I would even say now with, you know, with some sites, like mm-hmm. there's just more moving parts, like designing yes. a website in 2021 is way different from designing a website in 2011, which is mm-hmm. way different from designing a website in 2001. And I've designed mm-hmm. them in every one of those years. So like, it's totally, <laughs> totally different. Like technology has enabled a lot more things that can happen but like yeah like designers have to kind of roll with the punches in that way yes you're totally right i think it's a matter of i usually tell my students this you have to also you're you want to be a designer and that's great but you also have to know where the business of design is going where is it going and i know for me when i really got into communication design i knew and i could just see that the business of design was going towards the web it was the web was already here but it wasn't embraced it wasn't a lot of designers are still saying i'm going to do print only right I'm, i don't want to deal with the web and i was like well let me see what this web is about and you, you mentioned how you were uh designing websites and so forth so yes i was coding it by hand index html about html yeah you know even flash oh god flash couldn't tell me nothing when i was designing <laughs> it flash I, I thought i was the man <laughs> and, and now flash is dead and now Flash is dead, right? Yeah. But knowing those skills early on in my career definitely made me more valuable than these other designers and so forth and, and senior designers, you know, because they weren't paying attention to where the business of design was going, which is more digital, more web and so forth. And now that's kind of where we're at now. You know, where's the business of design as a whole going? What advice would you give to designers that are out there listening to this and they want to kind of level up themselves to do more like of the strategy kind of work that you're doing? Are there any sort of like resources you would recommend or books to read or anything like that? So shameful plug, I would recommend the two books that I teach my classes <laughs> first and foremost, right? Okay. Uh, which is Hey Whipple. I don't know what edition they're in right now, but Hey Whipple, I think is just a great book as far as just it's not a technical book, but it's more about a book about just thinking and advertising and strategy and things like that. And even though it's focused more so on marketing and, and advertising, it can be applied to any type of strategy and just how you think. It just really helps with 
as a young designer, I think just help with loosening up your uh, brain muscles <laughs> and thinking more creatively instead of just being told what to do. You're thinking about the why and writing your copy. And so and, so and on. that's that's uh, from Luke Sullivan, right? Yes, sir. Yes. Sir. Yeah. Mm-hmm. OK. And then I will also say this is more so from just because of the uh, design thinking class that I teach the design research manual. Right. And I usually recommend that to any student just because it exposes you to a different side of design life. Right. Where you're really about researching and it really lays out the multiple ways you can research leading up to a design project and getting insight into setting up demographics and insight research. What are you trying to achieve? Your qualitative, quantitative research. It gives case studies and so forth. And I usually recommend those two books because those books aren't really focused on the programs. It's not about who can put the best effects in Photoshop or Illustrator. Those two books are really more about just how do you think through your problems and how do you think about it strategically? So I would really recommend those two books if that is the case. And then IDO, I think everybody, well, I mean, not assume, but, you know, IDO org just does a good job of uh, case studies and things like that. If you are trying to get more on the line of strategy and so forth and perspective, the trend, quote unquote, trend right now is design thinking and human centered design. So which is it's always been here. But now that is the word of the moment, you know. So those are the avenues that I would just say just to dip your foot in there to just get exposed to that. That's a good place. And the the design research manual, I think that's uh, is that Jen Visaki O'Grady? Yeah, yeah, that is. I'm sorry, I'm I'm some No, no, no. I'm I'm trying <laughs> to think because I, I know Jen, and oh, so that's why I was like, is this? I, I didn't know if you were talking about her book or not. But yes, okay, yes, yeah, I, yeah. So uh, I think that is a great resource, and I use that book to reference a lot uh, in my classes as well. And yeah, nice. Yeah. So how have you? You know, you're teaching designers. You also are, you know, working with brands and stuff in your kind of nine to five job. Like, mm-hmm. how have you seen the evolution of the designer over these past few years? Has it been this this sort of target into doing more strategic stuff or have you seen other changes? It's been a lot of changes. I, I like to teach my courses from the perspective of how I'm working during the day and Knowing what I know because of how uh, involved in the industry I am, I'm in, I know what the, what the skill sets are, what they're looking for and so forth. So I, I teach that to the students and just to give them insight. And I would say that, you know, it has really moved from being considered a pixel, a pixel pusher who knows how to code or just someone who knows about print production and packaging design and getting all those. Listen, those roles still exist. So don't get it. Don't get it twisted. Those roles, if you want to be purely a package designer, purely just being visual and not really having to think and and be strategic, those roles still exist. And that's fine if that's the path that you want to choose. But if we're talking about opportunities for growth and and, and, and and this industry, a lot of it is related to not just being a designer, but also they want to know how you think. That's really what it boils down to. They want to know how you approach projects, which is what's your process beforehand. I see I'm guilty of this. I see a lot of new designers and their portfolio, they give like detailed case studies on their whole process, pictures of them sketching it out and, you know, do the whole process and ideation phase and all of that, which is very involved, very detailed. Sometimes I'm like, I don't even know why I would have time to update my portfolio to do that. anymore. <laughs> but there really is a, a higher importance, not just on what you design, but what is your role and how are you thinking to solve that problem at hand? more so than just the outcome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. it's good, though, that that's the case. You know, designers are yeah. having to be a lot more savvy. I know that, you know, it's always it's sort of been thrown around, I'd say, particularly in the past four to five years, how designers are problem solvers. Well, right. being able to solve those problems involves a fair amount of strategy. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of times, well, at least I would say, with a lot of projects working with my students, uh, it's usually a, a uphill battle to get them to break out of the mindset of coming with a solution without fully understanding the problem because they're so used to running to the programs. And it's like, well, the programs are the programs. The programs aren't really going to make you a better designer. How you think is going to make you a better designer because you're thinking through the problem and how to position things. Now, granted, if your typography is not on point, 
Yeah, go ahead. Go practice <laughs> your typography skills and get that up to par to make yourself a better designer. But ultimately, a lot of it is going to hinge on how you think in your process. Yeah. And I love that from Davis. <laughs> <laughs> what is it that keeps you motivated and inspired these days? Like, I definitely get the sense you have a lot of passion behind all of this, but what drives that? I just have a appreciation for this industry uh, and things. You know, I'm not really the type that when I'm looking for jobs and projects to work on, it's not really because of, of, of a company or, or a brand behind a company. I just like to do the work. I like to be able to provide value. You know, I work with a lot of small businesses on my own and help them establish their digital presence, setting up their businesses. I just like to be able to say, hey, I helped someone set up their business or help give them more insight and knowledge into an industry that they're not aware of. You know, the digital landscape can seem very daunting and overwhelming for people, right? Especially if they're trying to start a business, not even knowing where to start. Like, how do I even buy a domain name, right? Forget designing. How do I get a website? And I, I do take a lot of, you know, I get pleasure out of that. I, I get pleasure out of just helping in that regard because I just know growing up in New York, I know how it felt for me when I feel like when I didn't have that help and I didn't really know what was up from down not just in regards to business, but in regards to education. So that also goes back to the education side, the passion. I just like helping the next wave. Like I feel I'm going to be good personally, career wise, just because I'm always learning and keeping up on things. And, you know, so I'm, I'm at a place, thankfully, knock on wood, where I'm not really concerned about what the next job is going to be. But I do like to know, I like to know that I am giving back in some sort of way. I like when my students email me and say, hey, I just made it through the next round of interviews or I just I made it to the final stage of, of this internship program. Uh, can we talk for updates and stuff? That's really where my passion comes from uh, overall for things. What advice has really stuck with you the longest that you still follow today? <laughs> the day you graduate or the day you get your first job is when you really start learning. And I heard that. I think that was a Davis quote, but he would have to confirm. But I did hit out of tech. I think I'm pretty sure it was him. But the day you really start learning is the day you you're in the field and in the industry. And I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> I really didn't know what that. I was like, oh, whatever. Man, I don't got time for trying to be fake deep with something. And then I got in the industry and I was like, oh, OK, there's just things in the industry that no class is going to be able to teach you. No class is going to be able to teach you. Uh um, you know, the class teach you the, the, the university and the course to teach you like the functional skills, how to use these programs, typography, grids, color theory, you know what I mean, and, and mocks and stuff like that. Doesn't really teach you how to deal with people's personalities, how to really defend your stance on things, uh, on your position, or defend your design decisions. I mean, a little bit, but not really. But really, like personalities and things like that. That that's something you just really are not going to really know how to do until you get in the field and then also how to make yourself better. I do think a lot of times we think, well, we've graduated and that's it. And I've done all the learning I will ever need to do to remain successful and relevant in this industry. And that's just not the case. What are you obsessed with? Oh, <laughs> where are you getting these questions from Maurice? What's going on here? I'm just, uh, this, this is nah. off the top of the dome. <laughs> uh, I, I'm obsessed with a lot of things. Business, I'm very passionate about business and, and finance and the merger of business with design. Like how do those two worlds interact? Which is what led me more into product management, which you probably won't even, as a designer, as a design student, didn't even know that there's all these related design adjacent industries that you can get into, right? So definitely uh, obsessed about that. I'm just obsessed about learning, you know, different philosophies, different perspectives on the way of the world, how people think. I'm obsessed with just making sure my perspective is taken into no matter what I do in life, no matter what I'm thinking about, regardless of, of problems. You know, I try to be mindful of just what are my blind spots that I'm not seeing that may make me not aware of what this other person is thinking as they're teach talking to me or explaining themselves and their point of view, you know, uh, things like that. Not to sound like super spiritual or holistic, but that's really lately, especially with last year, <laughs> with last year, I've really just been obsessed with just different perspectives and approach to lives, living life and what matters and what's important to you. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Like, 
it's 2026. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All this pandemic stuff is a faint memory. Right, right. Like what what kind of work do you want to be doing? You know, I would I think ultimately in the five years from now, I, w- I would still love to be teaching. Definitely. But in regards to uh, design career and, and things of that nature, I think it's probably going to be more along the lines of a hybrid of design and product management to an extent where helping people realize business goals and business ideas and bring it to the market and just helping them from that strategic and design side of things. I also have my own passion projects as well. I have a lot of passion projects that I work on on a yearly basis. So I try to do one passion project a year and just focus that whole year on that. So whatever I deem that passion project to be five years from now, hopefully I will be you know, very successful in that endeavor as well and just focusing my time and energy on that. What's the passion project for this year? Uh, this year I'm working on a game. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like a video game, board game, like a board game, a board game, card game. Still, I'm still mapping it out. I'm still trying. I'm just putting my right now. I just have my thoughts around it and just trying to really map it out on what it's going to really focus on and and what I'm doing with it. But at the end of the year, I would like to have uh, completed this game. This is my passion project for this year. There's a black designer that just came out with a board game. I'm trying to remember what his name was. Uh, Dion Mixon, I think is what his name was. He kickstarted it on, uh, well, he he raised money for it on Kickstarter. And it's like an actual, it's called Design Eye is what the, the name of the game uh, is. is. You know what? Is it a card? Oh, no, you said it's a board game. Yeah, it's, it's a, a, it's a, it's a, I mean, I've, I've got the game. It's, it's another room, but like it yeah. is a, it's a board game, but it has like uh, card aspects to it and little tokens okay. and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah, that sounds cool. I'm gonna have to look that up. I'm gonna have to look that up. My game that I'm throwing my wrapping my head around, I did consider doing some type of design game, but I also think I'm considering doing something like a business related game. So I'm, I'm still I'm still working through the ideas. I'm still in the early research brainstorming phase of things and, and seeing where, where that will lead me. Well, you're in, I mean, you're in New York. There's a lot of black game designers there. So you're yeah, in good company. Yeah, I am in good company. I was very inspired recently. I saw this documentary about board game game designers. I have like a list of projects that I just always want to knock off the list. Like, hey, if I had time, I would do this, that, and the third. And uh, game design has always been on it. And I saw this documentary and I said, I think that's a sign that this is the year to focus on that one. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, just to you know, wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more information about you and about your work and everything online? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm on LinkedIn. I am Danny Shaw on LinkedIn now that you might see a lot of Danny Shaws put in Danny C. Shaw if you're looking. Uh, but I think it won't be hard for me to stand out on the LinkedIn side of things if you're looking for me there. Uh, my website is Danny dash shaw.com that's danny dash s-h-a-w.com currently in the process of updating that that website right now and those are the two main places you can find me i I don't have a a personal instagram or anything like that i'm on facebook but that's just for friends and family so yeah those are the two main places you can find me oh i have a podcast that i do with my friend we talk about business so if you care to just listen to two guys talk about business and the concept of business and learning lessons as we do book reviews and movie reviews about business and just do case studies on various businesses and takeaways and learning lessons, you can uh, go to businessgrindshow.com. That is businessgrindshow.com and follow us on Spotify and and, uh, Apple and and, and Google. We're on all the platforms. Okay. I'll make sure to put all of that in the show notes and definitely check the podcast out too. All right. Thank you. Nice. Well, Danny Shaw, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and for really kind of sharing your story about one being kind of a working, not necessarily a working designer. I mean, you're working Mm -hmm. with in design and strategy, but also Mm -hmm. I really get the strong passion from you about giving back through education and teaching. You know, it's I've been fortunate kind of this quarter to have a number of black design educators on mm-hmm. the show. So it's always good to kind of hear people's perspectives, but I really like get from you that this is something that you're super passionate about. So I'm really excited to see kind of what you end up doing in the next five years with, with all your work. So thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate I, it. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. 
big, big thanks to Danny Shaw. And of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Danny and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Maurice Cherry, with engineering and editing by RJ Basilio. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. So what did you think of this interview? What do you think about Revision Path as a whole? Don't be a stranger. Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram. Just search for Revision Path, all one word. Or leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Let the world know about the show because it really helps us grow and reach more people all around the world. As always, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.